bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to the Advanced Advertising Pavilion. We are streaming live on voiceamerica.com, and we have a fantastic panel here for the last day of the NAB Show 2017. How's your week been? Let's hear it. Woo! All right. Well, we have a fantastic panel. We're really today getting into the Met effect, which is a lot of the branding at this week's show, which is really the convergence of media, entertainment, and technology. And so our focus for today's panel is to let you hear from five executives who are all doing really interesting things in media, entertainment, and tech, and how they are working together in the ecosystem, because times have really changed. It's no longer about vendors, but really about partners. And so we're going to hear from each of them about what they're doing, and then we're going to circle back and do some Q&A. Ladies and gentlemen, Xavier, who just parked his car. Hey. All, right. <laughs> All right, so I'm, we're going to start with Greg Katana, who's the chief business strategist of Unofficial Cardboard. I don't know if any of you have heard of this thing called virtual reality, but apparently it's really cool. Just kidding. Um, so, Greg, why don't you start and take us through what you're doing with Unofficial Cardboard and sort of your role in the world of immersive content. Hello, everyone. How are you? I'm Greg Catano, and I'm Chief Strategist for Unofficial Cardboard. We're the first partner with Google to start manufacturing the Google Cardboards, which are the um, these low-cost virtual uh, reality viewers that you can put uh, your cell phone in and look around and check out the world. Uh, I, um, I've been in media for a really long time, and uh, you know the entertainment business took a little bit of a hit with um, you know uh, tax credits and uh, you know oversaturation. Don't make us sad. Uh, no, no, no. But it's exciting again <laughs> because uh, virtual reality came around, and it, it, it's really this convergence. When you're talking about this meta effect, it's uh, it's really this convergence of all this technology. I mean, I'm getting exposed to. Uh, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, robotics. So I realized that by joining with Google and Google Cardboard that it would be the distribution that everyone's going to need because we all have smartphones and there's two and a half billion out there. So it's really given me this platform to, you know, graciously be on talks in front of all of you and, um, you know, just sort of evangelize what virtual reality can do. And the enterprise business is the most exciting for me, you know, because now... Everyone with a cell phone can enhance their education and medical and philanthropy and training. And when I figured that out, I said, wow, it's not just entertainment. And usually it was always limited to just entertainment. So the fact that we can all potentially utilize virtual reality, getting these inexpensive $300 cameras that you can buy on Amazon that'll you know take a picture in 360, uh, distribute these cardboard viewers uh, that are very inexpensive, and now we can all potentially start a real estate company and travel company. So. Yeah, I'm not a fan of every angle being seen, but I'm just saying that about myself. Um, <laughs> now, right. how many of you have some sort of Google Cardboard device? or have? Okay, has, has everyone experienced virtual reality? Okay, so the other thing you're doing is your VR arcade today, which I think is fascinating, which is another type of distribution. Could you talk about that? Thank you. So uh, a little shameless plug, but today at the uh, MGM, we are going to be doing the VR arcade. And there's going to be a lot of talk about these location-based arcades for virtual reality. And 
I also identified that that's another way that we can get it out to the public. And so at the MGM tonight at 7, uh, we're going to have 14 curated experiences, some of the you know top um, um, experiences uh, like Rock Band VR and, and Robo Recall, all these really hot games that Oculus is putting out. Very, you know, very fun. And uh, But I also brought in a bunch of my influencer friends, and, and they're some of the nicest people that I know. They're really trying to evangelize this, too. So between the VR uh, experiences and having this, this group of people that you're all going to be able to talk to, and, and if you're interested in virtual reality, they're the ones that are going to be able to share, share the knowledge because that's what we're all trying to do for any movement. We have to let people in. We can't be super coveted with the technology. We have to let it out there, let other people figure out what they can do. And this is going to be a really nice venue for everyone to, you know, feel the community, check out some virtual reality. Uh, so, um, yeah, both distributions through mobile and through the location-based um, uh, setups. Beautiful. Is, is so, Greg Gatano talking about love with virtual reality. Really, <laughs> oh, right. everything's about love. Everything's so. about love. All right, let's jump over to Lindsay Fultz, who is director of brand strategy at Amplify. So, while Greg's representing immersive content, Lindsay is, rec- is representing influencer marketing, and we're always hearing about influencers and the role that they're playing in the future of content. So, Lindsay, tell us what you're doing at Amplify, and give us an overview of what's going on with influencers. So we are an influencer marketing technology company. So we actually do more than just connect brands with people who have large followings and engagement on social. Um, But we really focus on the technology. Um, So whether you're working with five influencers or a thousand influencers, we focus on the technology that actually finds the right influencer personas and the right audiences. Um, And then we have technology that um, breaks down the types of engagement um, because not all comments are created equally. Um, You know, there's comments that are like, like or first to comment, I love you. Um, But we focus on the on-brand comments, which are actually people talking about what is in the content. So um, we really break down the the on-brand comments and the sentiment, positive, neutral, um, negative, and um, top words and emojis and top words with emojis and what they mean um, because like 80% of all comments include emojis so we really break down on you know what the meaning is um, and we focus on you know how to show the ROI so how to take the conversations to conversions um, and we recently partnered with one of our sister companies um, Automat and created the world's first um, influencer chatbot Um, which is really cool um, because no matter how much you try to track every conversion and you try to track or UTM code every link that you put out in social, um, typically the number one source of traffic is undefined if you look at your Google Analytics. And And a lot of that is because of dark social. So people having conversations on text, on messenger. Um, dark meaning you can't get that analytics? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's people. Or dark meaning evil. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, typically it's, it's like the number one source of like conversion, so it's good in this aspect. But dark meaning that you can't see what's being said. Um, so it's through text messaging and through Facebook Messenger and Instagram Messenger. Um, but we're able to actually uncover those conversations through influencer chatbots um, and actually see what they're saying um, and if they're clicking on a link and if they're 
downloading a coupon or if they're purchasing. Um, so that's one of our sister companies that we partnered with. So we're constantly trying to innovate at the Amplify and really show that it's not just about engagement, but these engagements actually lead to dollars. Now, which platforms are you looking at for influencers? I mean, is it one or are you looking at Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Twitter? We do um, campaigns across all social. So it's multi-platform. Um, if, if people are having conversations there, we're going to be there. Um, so it's across social, but I would say the influencer chatbots are on Kick and WeChat and Facebook and Instagram. So messenger platforms are really becoming a big place to engage with consumers. Yep, that's that's where um, you know we can obviously see what they're saying when they make a comment, but where we found that you know when you look at again when you look at your Google, Google Analytics and the number one source of conversion is undefined, that's a problem, um, and so we're. Our main goal is to really just figure out why it's undefined and try to uncover that. So that's kind of how we partnered with Automat to come up with the chatbot and, and to peel away the, those layers. That's great. How many of you are following any influencers? Anybody that you always like to read? You are and, and anyone else? So all of you are, are have people you like to follow. And so you're actually monetizing that for brands in, in a sense. Yeah. And I mean, we chatted earlier on yeah. um, um, on the podcast, but you know, there's definitely a difference between influencers and creators. Um, influencers could just be people who look really beautiful and take great selfies and things like Which that. Which is us, right? <laughs> We're a very handsome group here. That's um, us. <laughs> and, and creators are people with actual talent who gain their following. Um, so there's definitely a difference there. Um, there's going to be higher conversion and on-brand comments and things like that with people who actually have talent versus people who take beautiful pictures. Um, but there's a need for both. Um, but so, yeah, there's... Great. All right, we're going to jump over to Neil Kuznets. Sometimes I say his name wrong, sometimes I don't. Who's managing partner at the Convergence Lab. And Neil now is representing on this panel the future of retail. Because retail is now going through this amazing convergence with tech and content and AI and all sorts of things. So tell us about the Convergence Lab. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> good morning, everyone. Um, so the Convergence Lab is a partnership with uh, Caltech and Arts Center in Pasadena. Uh, we work in the cross-section and the discipline, sorry, of technology meets media and retail. I represent the retail arm for this partnership, and what we're clearly seeing is that retail is just like any other form of, let's say, media or any type of entertainment. It's a platform where there's many customers but viewers at this point. So the future that we see is certainly about content. And what comes with it is the whole world is now basically looking at their smart devices, and 80-plus percent of it is all video content. So all this messaging and all of these storytelling for brands and stores and products have to be basically now transparent to be marketed, to be sold. And it's an interesting challenge because retailers, for the most part, tend to speak retail and some finance, but the world of technology is what's really taking over. So you have to speak multiple languages. You speak multiple languages of technology and media, content creation, and retail, there'll be success. But right now we're in the middle of a blizzard of this whole consolidation and a tremendous amount of technology which is creating more of a cultural type of flux where people aren't necessarily understanding it. And the cost of the digital retail world is very expensive. 
So here you have very, very big decisions coming up for retailers to figure out how do we actually make the proper investments where I talk about ROE, return on engagement, and then ROI, return on investment. I, lo I love ROE. Has anyone ever heard that before today? Isn't that a great way to think about it? Because that's what we're all trying to do is engage our consumer. So um, I'm sorry. I just really like that. No, it's, a, it's a good one. Because um, there's a lot of time and energy being spent, money being spent on just, you know, trying to get people to engage on social media and look at, and look at a shiny object. It's all about social media where how much can you convert? What's your conversion rate for people to actually buy something? And, and really what it, what it translates to is that you can't really sell. You've you got to stop selling. You have to educate. And you have to entertain. So you have to edutain people in the process. And if you could imagine how many brands and how many products and how many SKUs there are, think about all the content that's going to be generated potentially to distill this story, let alone all the content that's happening in everyone's world today. So there's going to be this tidal wave of a lot of information, a lot of content. So it kind of translates to what is considered good content, if not great. And that's the interesting disposition that retailers have to really get in touch with is how do you distill your own brand message? And there's many tools, there's many silver bullets that we're seeing and that we're working on that have ROE and ROI. And it's for both brick and mortar and it's for e-commerce. And it's redefining the definition of omni-channel. So it's a, a very significant time period right now in the next 12 to 24 months because with retail correcting, and everyone's probably reading a lot about what's happening with retail, there's just a, there's a contraction. There's too many stores. There's too, there's too many things. It's natural. It has to contract. But in the process, you've got to have the right platform, the right ERP, the right PLMs. You have to have the right tools in order to learn. And what we're discovering at the Convergence Lab are we see many tools after looking at hundreds that actually make a lot of sense and I think are distilling the story for the future of retail. Fantastic. Now, are you guys already seeing ways that these three can work together, right? We have immersive content, we have influencers, and now we have retail, which is going to depend on these guys. So we're going to add another one into the mix, which is Richard Rabbit which is, he, he has an easy name, and so I really appreciate it. All right. <laughs> um, and Richard is CEO of Giphy Cat, which is a content platform. So tell us about that. I know you have some content to show yeah, us, too. I actually, I'm, I'm the one who, like, thought that I had the homework, so I, pre I prepared some slides. <laughs> uh, if we can, like, turn them on. All right. So hello, everybody. I'm Richard Jabat. Uh, we, we caught on a, a few years ago on something that was changing in terms of content. Like, you know, people were like leaving long form content and going for the, the short attention, the thing that I can do quickly. Uh, and then we founded it in a couple of, a couple of years ago, and then we focused on becoming the YouTube for gifts. So people like come and uh, create content and they share it widely. They How many of you have made gifts, by the way? And sent them out. Okay, great. So Look, you have a. So whole you group may be here. one of the three million uh, creators that we have on the platform now. Uh, and what we've done is like we've, we deliver them at very, very high quality, except when it's PowerPoint. So we have to go go to like better, different quality. Uh, uh, next one. So these are the kinds of moments that people talk about. Like somebody created this, <laughs> this piece of content. Oh, my gosh. And then they started <laughs> discussing it on Reddit. And then somebody <laughs> at Mashable saw it. They, they wrote this really amazing article that was shared like thousands of times on Facebook and all these things. It's like... Uh, 
we've focused a lot on like you know enabling brands and uh, Hollywood studios etc like you know to uh, to get tools in the hands of their audiences to create more gifts um, next one and so we think of ourselves like you know YouTube was like for video Instagram was like the beautiful images we are about like the virality of community gifts and we see things that are actually quite interesting. This is for you. <laughs> uh, um, Richard knows that I have some issues with the current administration. So, <laughs> so somebody basically applied uh, applied a lot of uh, image processing on, on the... <laughs> and these are the things that like basically you know, put joy on people's faces. For, for our audio audience, yeah. he's showing some funny pictures of uh, Sean... Uh, Spencer. Spencer. Spicer. Sp Spicer's Yeah, well, we can't face. even say his name anymore because he's so mocked, uh, but anyway. <laughs> so, thank you. And uh, next one. And always open for questions. Great. Um, and so, a bunch of you have, have made gifts. What, why are... Gifts seem to have gone, come, gone, and then are now back. Why are they back now? Like, why, why I, is it... I, I think there's the two things. Like, uh, I think we all suffer now from, like, a sort of ADD. Uh, you, you know, we have, we have uh, an instrument in our pockets that, like, you know, keeps buzzing every few minutes, and we see what's, what's happening. So, and then, you know, during that time, we want to do something really quickly. We want to, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, text somebody and share something funny and then like see the highlight of like yesterday's game etc uh, and uh, that's on one hand like in terms of consumption on the other hand in terms of creation like the keyboard is such a bad uh, you know input device for like what you do on the phone you like typing and stuff so uh, gifts are like a visual language that you can use to like f say hello goodbye etc What's so interesting to me is sometimes a GIF will cross the universe and cause almost a cultural moment. So it's tying us all together and we're all unified on it. And it's just a couple of images and text. So it's so powerful. Yeah, and I, and I think like uh, be, because uh, because there's no audio, your other senses get much more uh, enhanced. So you focus on the visual element, the time element. In many cases, like the you know what's in like there's so much entropy in an image. There's so, and you know to many people like it uh, it looks different, and then people associate a certain emotion, a certain smirk. Like you can imagine, like you know, hundreds of years ago, like when like La Joconde was was drawn like you know everybody was talking about the smile right these are like things that are, like you get like thousands of moments like this that you can like talk about that's great all right we're going to jump over to xavier kochar who is at the end founder and ceo of the video genome project Gino. <laughs> um and xavier has a long history in media entertainment and technology and he's representing data we're always all hearing about big data so xavier's actually taking it and applying it in a really interesting way so tell us about what you've been up to uh, so I, I have been, um, I am pretty fascinated by uh, intelligence and intelligence not... Which is why we're friends. Yeah, exactly, okay, exactly. Just, I'm just so saying. Actually, the, <laughs> the technical definition of intelligence, not just, hey, you're smart, not that, but, uh, and actually how, just to, to level set, because I may be using the word intelligence later on as well, um, intelligence is simply the processing of, uh, of information. That's it. So, our the most uh, powerful and um, the powerful processors that exist in the world are our brains, and part of that is because they're extremely dynamic. In other words, they're extremely contextual; they can change on the fly. And so, we have a ton of intelligence collectively. 
However, we have a massive, we have a huge input output issue. So what do I mean? Actually, we have a huge output issue. So if you figure that intelligence is de uh, uh, derived from information, so we are constantly receiving a ton of information. You know, our brains are. Mostly, uh, and our input's not actually not bad. You know, it's through our eyes, through our ears, touch, senses, the other things that you're talking about. And so then it, it, it hits our brains, processes, hits the, uh, you know, um, the, uh, our neurons and the neurotransmitters, and then chemicals are released, and it's reconciled with other information, other processed, like, modules of information and our experiences in the past. Right, so in other words, um, for, for instance, even right now, think about how much input all of your brains are, 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 are receiving. Not just from me talking, but like the, the ambient noise, the fact that it's the last day, that it's like a, this is a weird little pavilion and all that. It's You're, not weird. <laughs> I gave you pavilion, by the way. That was, that was the big give, right? No, but, um, and what we're all doing is- You're we're, weird. Yeah, I am weird. But we're all- we're, we're going to be uninvited. We're, uh, yeah, yeah right. exactly. Um, and we're all reconciling that with other process information usually based on our experience. That's awesome. Here's the problem. The problem is we have an output issue to share that intelligence with others. And our output is limited. Uh, you know, by the way, our input's pretty good, mostly because of our eyes, mostly because of our eyes and ears. But our output is limited to just actually a couple of things. Talking, writing, or typing. Think how slow that is. Think about how much intelligence actually exists, not just in our brains, but in all of, uh, uh, here on the panel, but all of your brains, and, and how really to add true value in this world. What we need to do is we need to share intelligence. Like Lori needs to give me her intelligence, and then I can reconcile it with my intelligence and then build on that. Oh, that would be too powerful. It would be too powerful. <laughs> so anyway, so this, this kind of the, the notion of this is what we call collective human intelligence. The reason why we're shifting towards AI is primarily because output processing issues, right? Because AI can, um, and machines can process at, at scale much faster than we can. But I've been fascinated by this for many years, and I actually think that we can do it, okay? And part of how we can do it, the first step, um, is that we have to, I mean, ideally, it would be, I don't know if any of you guys are fans of that Netflix show, uh, Black Mirror, but that's, it's actually being a technologist, I have to say, most of that stuff there is not, is not like 20, 30 years out. I feel like a lot of that stuff is like two, three years out. But imagine instead of, um, I mean, there's, there's a certain sort of charm to talking and people kind of flubbing their words and someone running late. But imagine I could just take what's in my brain and just like a, like a USB stick and just put it somewhere and you could just process it. I mean, like I would like filter out like stuff I wouldn't want you to, you know. And that's see. a lot. Of, there's a lot of secrets you have. I know. That's right. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah. I wouldn't want you to know that like, you know, like, or some, certain stuff. But anyway. Don't um, you? Okay. So, yeah, after, um, the panel. so yeah, right. after the panel. So, um, so, so the idea is if we could do that, if we could output at scale with each other, there would pretty much be no problem that we couldn't solve because we all have different inputs, right? Is it, just imagine it like, a, like imagine it like we all go on a scavenger hunt and we have to find things and we all separate. And then when we come back, you know, and we go, okay, what'd you find? And we're having to like share, um, you know, our observations. Oh, there's this thing there. And something that we may find irrelevant, somebody else may find, no, actually that's a clue. 
But most of that intelligence, something like 95% gets lost because it's up here and we can't output it fast enough. So part of what's going on, and you're starting to see that we've been working on this for a while, but you're starting to see um, I'm, the glimpses of this happening from much more prominent folks like uh, Elon Musk and what have you. They're, uh, they're recognizing that this output issue is a big deal. And they're actually trying to link digital output with your chemical secretions in your neurotransmitters. So just imagine being able to essentially, I don't want to say read thoughts, but put your thoughts down without typing and writing. And so um, I actually think that is a little far off. And also there's massive ethical and regulatory issues. I mean, you have to test on live human people, so people will die and all that. But, um, but I actually believe there's an intermediate step, and that's what we've been working on at SDI in the Video Genome Project. The first one was, this was, a, it was an easy one, or like a relatively easy one, which was just video content. Like everything people think about film TV, because people like talking about it, they like sharing it, I don't have to go in your brains. And the reason I don't have to go in your brains is because the world loves sharing that stuff. Mostly on these platforms that these guys are talking about. All we have to do is find it and just clean it up. So um, what uh, uh, Lindsay was saying, sorry Lindsay, I, I love your picture. But um, what <laughs> Lindsay was saying is recon, uh, reconciling that this emoji means this, or this word means this, and it's a synonym for this, and when this uh, semantic exists with this other word, it refers to that. That's the process of structuring. So, but that's already out there. So anyway, that's the first project, the, v, the, the VGP. And now we, we're going to have uh, several other stuff. So if anyone is uh, interested, well, actually. Well, I was going to ask you, so really what you've done that I think ha is the most applicable right now to the NAB audience is that you've created, you've found a way to really help discovery by taking people's interests yeah. and what, what they want to watch. And your engine is really helping platforms, video platforms, match make audience yeah. to project. Yeah, so we're actually we're actually not bad at output when we're um, when we're focused on one thing and we're one to one or even in a small group. We're not bad. So, um, in other words, if Lori and I got together. Um, you know, on, on a Monday and we say, oh, what'd you do this weekend? And, oh, well, you know, I was with my kid and I did whatever. And I know Lori's history. I know her background. She knows mine. I could actually say to her, oh, you know what you'd really like based on everything that I already have in my brain, you'd really like this show, Black Mirror because it's relevant for everything you do, and I think you have that kind of sensibility. So that just imagine being able to do that. like. Instead, so she's kind of tapping into my brain. I'm giving her a recommendation for a video. Imagine being able to do that for the world. So imagine being able to tap into what the world feels about stuff. And, and That's you, what we did. You were acquired by Hulu? Uh, yeah. So um, about six months ago, uh, uh, one of the MVP, so Hulu, uh, which is a joint venture uh, between the big uh, media companies, um, Disney, Fox, uh, Comcast, uh, and Time Warner, um, they uh, they were very very keen on personalization. So the so you can imagine once you have uh, you know processed intelligence um, and you have usage data. So I know what you're doing or you're doing or, you're, or what your behavior is. Now I can I can literally say hey you you, um, you you know not just you might like Modern Family, but I can literally say based on all of your uh, usage patterns and who you are, I can give you hyper, hyper personalized uh, content that's based on time, place, who's in the room, what kind of mood you're in, and by you doing nothing. 
So just so like again, it's kind of like reading thoughts. So Hulu uh, um, acquired us uh, because our thesis is matched, uh, which was around personalization. And uh, Hulu is. I encourage everybody. Uh, Hulu will soon re release uh, uh, with, before the end of spring. So hopefully. Uh, uh, hopefully soon, um, their uh, linear OTT product. So it's essentially Hulu, like the, all the VOD, and all your live channels and sports, and for much, much cheaper than cable or satellite. Uh, it's going to be pretty sweet. So you wow, should Wow, that's big. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. All right, so let, let's get into some audience questions before I, I do some matchmaking here and we really experience the Met effect. So, any questions so far for our panelists? I'll do a little Phil Donahue. If I just dated myself, I apologize. <laughs> let's come over here. This is Kim. Kim, tell us also what you do. Where are you in the Met effect? Um, actually, I was talking to, to Neil before the panel. Um, so my background is in uh, is in uh, tech and entertainment research, but I'm also uh, a content creator for clients. And one of my clients is in the retail industry. So one of the things that they're working on is AI to um, to fine tune. So they provide a SaaS platform for retail management for mid-sized retailers. But where they're really focused on is because they're collecting t data from all of their um, retailers across the board is they are creating an AI aspect of it to continually improve the back office. So I wanted to find out if any of the research that you've done um, actually enables retailers themselves to do to collect information um, and use AI to better deliver, to create the content, deliver better experiences to their customers and so forth. Yeah, I mean, AI and machine learning is a big part of what retailers are now tapping into, and it's about, you know, data usage and attribution and everything else. Um, and it's interesting because the the tools for that, um, and certainly Amazon has that, as does, you know, Jet.com and, you know, Walmart. It's like your mid-sized folks and your smaller retailers, they don't have these tools yet. And they'll be made available, and there's some folks that I've been talking to that certainly have the AI machine learning that's attached to a cloud-based ERP that will be available to them if they opt in to want to use that kind of a service. Um, but what I find really interesting, though, is, and to Xavier's point, is that it's, it's interesting how much we watch and how much you actually, and, and I'll quote Marshall McLuhan, uh, who I think is really appropriate here, is that we experience more than we understand, but it's not the understanding, it's the experience that defines behavior. And that's exactly what's kind of going on, and it certainly sounds like you're about to capture that and um, really monetize that. Are you, are you guys going to hang out afterwards? Have you ever yeah, met before? No, we have not, but um, you're there's some interesting out? parts. So I get yeah, a percentage of whatever yeah. happens here. Yeah, and he already knew that because he already tapped into my okay. usage data. Yeah. So, okay. um, <laughs> I already knew she was going to yeah, ask. Yeah, exactly. All right. I already figured out how not to I'm give it to I'm coming back here for another question. But those question. tools are happening, yes. Okay. All right, we have another question here from Gregory. Hello. Tell us where you are in the Met Effect. What's your role in the ecosystem? Well, uh, we, I run a digital uh, agency, and uh, we also advise on the crossroads of uh, targeting uh, and security. So, somewhat related to that question uh, is how do you guys, how are the, some of these mining platforms dealing with uh, bots, with uh, ad blockers, and with uh, a growing younger gener generation trying to throw off uh, behavioral identification? Nice, good question. Uh, anyone on the panel, how are you handling, uh, you know, the pushback uh, and the ad fraud? 
Well, one of the one of the big benefits of working um, with influencers or creators is to combat ad blocking, um, because these people are followed by a large audience and they're trusted, and so by them essentially putting up a photo or creating a video, they're seeing the message and it's not getting blocked. So that's how we deal with it with influencers. And, and Richard, your your content yeah. is smack dab for this audience. So are you seeing any pushback, or you? So you know? so we do see quite a bit of use of ad blockers. For us, it's it doesn't matter to us as much because people are. Uh, I, I think ad blockers are kind of like a reaction to the fact that we were targeting too much. We we were like you know you know we were following somebody from like you know from the amazon.com like across like here are the shoes here are the shoes again like you bought them but let let you know look at them again so and i think it's it's a bit of a reaction uh but i think like the, that younger audience is always going to be fickle it will go to the next platform like if you if you don't uh, assume that there's going to be like you know a, a bunch of ad blocking and you and you start you know preventing user the your users from seeing the content they're just going to go to another platform so you're going to assume there's like 20 to 30% of ad blocked content and just live with it anyone else want to respond to that well i'm just going to just add to that is like um Kind of like the new version of you know a banner ad is like a photo or video on an influencer's channel, um, and you know you you put a link and you can track it and everything. It's just that's one of the huge benefits um, of working with influencers. It's kind of like the new pay per click um, that's not getting blocked and it's welcomed because it's on someone you know's trusted channel, um, and they will absolutely tell you no. It's not a good brand fit if they will lose followers or get negative comments they will absolutely tell you no um but it's like the new pay-per-click ad um to answer your question it's uh the the battle uh with the bots <laughs> is, is tough and certainly with all the banner advertising you uh 40 60 percent of all these clicks are bots and the the conversion rates are skewed and i think what it turns into is um what are the tools you need for it? There's one that I've seen that's actually very impressive. It's a Bitcoin uh, uh, technology that actually is a, a digital uh, like watermark encryption for all audio and video files. So what it affords is it tells you obviously who owns it and it proves provenance and you can buy it, you can sell it. But what it does is it creates this really great effect of attribution and granular detail of knowing exactly where it's going and who opened it. So these are the types of things that are unfolding in the world of like, you know, cybersecurity and that whole world of, of the battle of the bots, it, it's going to be continual. <laughs> you're, you're, there's always going to be somebody who's going to turn the corner and kind of skew the data, whether they mean it for themselves or just to kind of like, you know, put a little, uh, you know, you know, rotten apple in the barrel. So uh, I think what's interesting, though, is th there's many tools coming up for that. Um, and it's about, you know, when it comes to the influencer and it's really quality click-throughs, you can cast a net to grab, you know, 10 million, 100 million, you know, click-throughs. But I think it's about, in some cases, I'm going to grab 10,000, 50,000, 150,000. And I know who the influencer is. I know that there's an active and quality, you know, follower. And I can convert. And I think it's just kind of easing into a world that will now translate to... Um, it's about content uh, viewing. Um, there's no real... Um, 
world of uh, a designated platform for pricing and it's full content views. It's not the first second or two seconds or the click before they clicked onto a, a video. And I think that's the next big step is that that's going to create a whole world of encryption and I think quality um, when it comes to um, click-throughs, influencers, and dealing with bots. But I think that's going to be the platform. Um, Greg, I just want to ask Greg a quick question because immersive content, do you see advertising becoming a big part of that? And then will there be security issues in these immersive worlds? So absolutely. I see the engagement being one of the most exciting parts of what drew me to Google Cardboard is that, let's face it, Google Cardboard is really a commodity, but when you pair it up with the influencers, with the analytics, with a retail, now we're talking about this long-term engagement with the with the things that people need. They want to follow the um, the influencers. I was asked to speak on a on a, on a uh, at a conference for Summit Live, and it was all the uh, a lot of influencers that were there. A lot of them came to me and they said, "Yeah, we're experimenting with 360 because." Our followers want to be in the room with us. They want to be out shopping with us. They want to, you know, feel that they're even closer to our lives. And on the on the on the retail side, same thing. They they said, wait a minute. I, I think Nielsen came out with a study, and they said the engagement was seven times what two D qual two uh, D um, media was was doing with the with the audience. So now you're you're creating this imprint that we've never seen before. So uh, as far as the, the security, yeah, you know, well, I'm going to leave it up to, you know, these esteemed panelists up here. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, really, I'm, I'm just trying to uh, get the distribution out there so that people can try it for themselves, see if they can adapt it to their own companies because they already have the, the, the smartphones. Yeah. And, you know, and they all have their own different applications. Xavier? Was your question about um, machines delivering false positives, or is it just, just is it just uh, click fraud? Both machines and users, and so if it's if it's anything, as long as there's any um, money behind something, there will be fraud. Okay, and the farther away you have attribution, I'm um, sorry, the the more unclear attribution is to whatever is actually important to the uh, media buyer or advertiser, i.e., revenue sales. There's going to be there's a potential for fraud along the way. So, I mean, choose your metric. If it's going to be if it's going to be uh, clicks, pay per click, there will be people will will develop fraud uh, along the way and you just have to you just have to kind of be faster than them and uh, innovate faster if what you're talking about is how do we um, or I should say and if what you're talking about is are machines delivering false positives that give us a, uh, a different understanding of what our users are doing so in other words um, that they're not the, that machines are not actually uh, tied to a, uh, an, uh, uh, a monetization metric. And what I'll say there is that it doesn't matter. And, um, and the reason I say it doesn't matter is because it's sort of um, one of the things that I, um, uh, just from being in pretty deep in unstructured and, and structured data from across the world, uh, over the, I mean, uh, we built this company, we started four or five years ago, is I have completely uh, changed my um, uh, understanding of what the truth is. I used to think the truth is actually something that is um, scientific, physical, can be proved. I'm a very sort of science analytical person. 
not the truth. The truth is simply what the majority of people believe. Period. Even if it's physically, um, even if there's a physical sort of a disconnect. So thousands of years ago, it was the truth, the truth that the sun revolved around the earth. Doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter if you, in fact, there were people that, that said, look, I'm physically trying to pr prove it. You know, uh, obviously that one's a tough one. You have to use proxy measures, but it doesn't matter. In the same way, and by the way, you, this last 12 months, 18 months, you, we've heard a lot about truth and fake truth and news and fake news. And so as long as things are happening, then, and it's not tied to money, it's not tied to a metric, then that's, your, that's the reality. So in other words, it's like, the, I don't know if you guys watch Seinfeld, but there's a great episode where like he, um, he kind of fakes that he has like a, like a George Costanza fakes he has a thing. He's faking it. But if he does it every single day, it doesn't matter if it's the truth because we are reacting to that input like, like it is the truth. All right, and so Xavier, let me throw it back to the audience because you're blowing my mind and, and you're scaring me too. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, anyone have any more questions for our panelists? Anyone want to dig into anything? Yeah, you have a question? Okay, I'm coming over to you. And what, what's your role in the world, Augustin? I'm a producer. I come far along from Paraguay, South America. And my question to the panel is, like, newspapers are having these troubles in Latin America that there a lot of uh, money is migrating, is going from newspapers to digital. And in digital, they can't pay the salaries because it's not, you know, the same amount they were receiving in newspapers. So what is the future for you? Uh, what do you think about the future of newspapers and how they're going to uh, pay the salaries for this news that now that, that they are free? No? I think this is a this has been a great year for the newspaper business. Like newspapers, I, like Donald Trump should have so many fruit baskets from all the uh, <laughs> the papers because we actually um, we actually care about news quite a bit. But same thing, like the the publishing news publishers, um, ha what happened to them? Ha it's happened in music, and they just kind of fell asleep at the wheel. And then technology innovated. Your point's a good one, which is if. Um, if you don't have scale, like if you don't have uh, uh, usage and you don't have scale, you're not going to get investment. You can't pay for for people. Um, you can't pay your people. However, I actually think the cost of making, producing, um, and uh, disseminating news has gone down considerably. And also, people don't care as much about um, they don't care as much about. Uh, it used to matter, like the quality of the news mattered. Um, now, um, like they're, they're getting, um, I heard two great stats in the last 24 hours. One about, um, uh, one from uh, uh, one of our board members, uh, um, he was on CNBC, so Ross Levinson, he was talking about Twitter, and there, you know, Twitter had amazing, um, uh, 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 the higher than expected growth. And a lot of people think Twitter is dead. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't use Twitter that much, but Twitter, it, it breaks a lot of news, right? So there's a function for that. Um, the other thing is um, the the problems that are going on with ESPN right now. So ESPN, they just had massive layoffs. They had a few months ago, and then you know, and everyone sort of knows why the subs have gone down, um, and their fees to uh, acquire the sports leagues have gone up, uh, uh, licensed sports league, but. Something really interesting I found, um, I found, which was data related, and also it's kind of news. It's news related. So, ESPN's 
seminal property, you guys, we all know what it is, right? Sports Center, right? Sports Center, in the last three years, Sports Center has actually gone down. Like the, um, uh, the uh, not usage, what's it called? Uh, viewership has gone down. And the reason is because Sports Center is, a, is primarily a clip show, right? Highlights. And in the last three years, we get our highlights from other places. So instead, and you'll, this is so interesting, you know the layoffs, they had a lot of on-air, uh, on-air talent layoffs just yesterday. You know who, you know who stayed? Um, the, the people who got uh, kicked out were primarily like reporters. You know who stayed? The talking heads. So what that speaks in, to the news business is that the actual like, here's what's happening is being commoditized, right? Because everyone has a phone and everything, but the, the, I don't think that's a bad thing for news, news players because if you're a great journalist, I'm not just gonna tell you what's happening because you know the 20 people with their cell phones, they can tell you what's happening, Twitter, Facebook, they can tell you. I'm going to add a layer of, of value on top of it by giving you analysis, by giving you something else. And that's why I think, I actually, th- I'm, it's weird, but I'm actually bullish on newspapers, Any, if they can get this right. Anyone else? Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about like how newspapers are actually using us to drive more engagement with their content. So uh, when you when you write a really neat piece of, uh, you know, reporting, you're, you're, you're still uh, dealing with the fact that somebody's going to hit the back button. And uh, like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and all these guys are actually in- integrating GIFs in their storytelling because that's driving like you know an immediate like visual satisfaction. You see something and you go like, okay, let me let me read more. Let me understand what this story is about. So that's one way that like you know th- that people are driving engagement with the content. And the content once you once you have like enough, uh, once you spend enough time, you can monetize it well. I just have a comment. Um, it's interesting you're talking about the truth earlier because there is a, uh, a breach of reality with media and just the information age at, l- at large. So what is it that we really are searching for? Because there's many truths, and the truth, whether it was a 1,000 year- years ago or not, it's about authenticity. And what you even talk about with ESPN, those talking heads, those are brands. Those are brands and people connect with them, whether they know them or not. They don't know them, but they trust them or they like them. And I I parlay that into the world of retail, too. Why do people go to Nordstrom? Why do people go to Walmart? Well, there's necessity, there's accessory, there's the experience, there's all this stuff that each brand offers. But I came across a technology recently, which I thought was really interesting, and it was actually geotagging. Um, for journalism and for sports. And what it does is it actually, as a, for a reporter, you actually can geotag the longitude and latitude, and actually it did happen, someone was there, and if you put a talking head attached to it, there's an often, there's, you can authenticate the situation. Now, I'm not saying that's the way forward, but I think those are many, there's many tools coming up that's gonna make for products, because think about all the products that we've bought, or you went on One King's Lane and you bought something, and I bought a clock one time, and it's like antique clock for $79, and when I got it, it was like a new aluminum clock, and they dripped all this stuff over it, and it was like kind of look, you know, antique from a distance. So caveat emptor, right? Is that you kind of want that transparency, but you want to be authentic. The truth is everyone has their own truth. After this panel, you can have your truth about what you heard, what you heard, what you thought you heard. And I think that's what it comes down to is, while there's all this mass communication and information and user data and 
at big data analytics, predictive analytics, is that it's going to start to pendulum swing back potentially to kind of narrow it back because you'll have the tools to do so and you're going to trust what you trust. Greg, did you want to close it out? Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest disruptions with the newspaper business, I'm sure a lot of you have heard, but uh, New York Times had distributed, I think it was 1.2 million virtual reality viewers for all the subscribers. And I thought it was a huge, bold move for them because everyone thought, oh, it's just going to be like the 3D glasses. But what they had done is while they were going through some challenging times, or they were just having some challenging times, they do this very disruptive move. And what they had done is once they got all these viewers in the hands of their subscribers, they teamed up with Chris Melk and Within, and they started producing all this very compelling uh, content that was empathetic. It put you right in a refugee camp. And now they were driving a lot of uh, traffic to their digital channels. So here was a, a way that yeah, may have seemed gimmicky on the, on the surface, but they're really turning this into a, into a very nice storytelling device, journalistic device, and, and driving traffic to their digital, you know, digital platform. So I, I'm sure that uh, a lot of other publications are going to follow suit. Great. Well, we have to wrap it up. We're running out of time. We could talk to these guys forever because they have so many interesting things to say and very deep things to say. Very deep. Anyway, so obviously the Met effect is in action here. Come and talk to our panelists afterwards. We have folks representing data, content, gifts, influencers, all sorts of new content. This is where it's happening. This is the future of, of entertainment, media, and tech. My name is Lori Schwartz. I'm the Tech Cat. I'd love for you to follow me and listen to our podcast. We've been broadcasting live on voiceamerica.com all week, and all the videos are going to be on Voice America's Facebook page, leveraging all these different techniques, because you guys are influencers, too. So thank you so much for coming, and please come and talk to our panelists. Let's have a big hand for the Met Effect. Thank you, everybody. We're broadcasting live, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you, everyone. You're so welcome. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com.